Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. On today's show, we look back at the last two Hornets games against the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. And the Charlotte Hornets have a big decision to make about Cody Zeller and Frank Kaminsky. We'll give you the latest. We talk more Hornets before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. This is Locked On Hornets. You are locked on, locked on, locked on Hornets. Your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. Welcome into another week of Locked On Hornets. It's Hornets Talk for the Hardcore Fan. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, David Walker. Boo. Don't be scared, Doug. It's just me, David. Well, Happy li- Halloween, buddy. Listen, I'm not scared because Halloween is not respected. We don't respect the day of Halloween. Halloween was sa- it might as well have been Saturday. That's just, I, I don't. Why? Here's here's the Why? thing. I don't like Halloween. Why? Because we we just celebrated on the weekend. Now it's no one no one respects the day of Halloween. Like no one's going out and so- partying tonight. Uh, unless you, um, I disagree. I disagree. And, and and tweet us your answers of where you'll be partying tonight, so Doug can see <laughs> Halloween is still respected. Everyone was out in Uptown Charlotte on Saturday, unless That's Halloween true. is on a Saturday. Or and and I think even parents with kids. I don't know if 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 that's still you. You'll have to tell me, uh, folks out there. Oh, I'll tell you. Because I just think people just plan these things on the weekend now. They don't want to mess around on a weekday on a school night. Getting out and there'll still be people. I think trick or treating will still go down tonight for sure. Parties and whatnot are you know prematurely celebrated, but so are Christmas parties. So are other but, types but of we but we have but here's Saturday. the difference, David. We have things on Christmas that we do on that mm-hmm. day. We respect the day. Not, yeah. Hall- not Halloween. You're really upset about, about not respecting <laughs> Halloween. Jeez, well, I'm just saying, if we're going to make here. a big deal about it, if it's going to be October 31st, then let's just let's just do it on October it 31st. We, can, we are doing it. It's, there, just, it's Halloween creep. It's just the same as Christmas creep. These let's just let's just do it on the day. That's all I'm saying. Oh, listen. Tomorrow morning, I'll be blasting my Christmas mix uh, right on time. So don't even. Get, I'll, I'll take Christmas all I can get it. Right, we can talk well, about that later. Though. Yeah. All right. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. <laughs> Happy every... Halloween. <laughs> That's why we're not doing any Halloween themed segments. We did all of those on Tuesday, uh, last Tuesday. Uh, we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Panthers fans, head over to iTunes after the show and subscribe to the Locked On Panthers podcast. The Panthers won. You've got reason to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Go celebrate with host Steve Reed, who will get you all the information you need to know about that victory. NBA fans, make sure to check out Locked on NBA with host David Locke. Uh, don't be don't be Hornets insulated. You gotta you gotta know what's going on around the league. 
uh, so that you know about the opponents that the Hornets uh, are, are coming up against. So check that out. Okay, we've been gone uh, for a few games now. We've got a few games to cover. It's time to bring back a segment we love. It's called Since You've Been Gone. Since you've been gone. It's not really a segment, David. It's just an opportunity for me to play Kelly Clarkson on the show, uh, an opportunity that I always relish. Uh, the Hornets come anyone, back. Yeah. What? What you got something nah, to say about Kelly? I want. I want. No, this is clearly yeah, a show where you and I are going, going to argue. We, we're not respecting Kelly Clarkson. It's not. Uh, <laughs> you don't play it on a Monday. You play it on a. Go ahead. All right. Since we've been gone, the Hornets came back from a 19-point deficit to beat the Miami Heat in Miami on Friday. They flew back to Charlotte and opened up their home schedule on the second half of a back-to-back. Waiting for them were the Boston Celtics and the hot, hot hand of Avery Bradley, who shot 8 of 11 from beyond the arc, not from the field, just from three-point land. The Hornets made a few runs in this game, had a great game from Kemba Walker, but they lose their first contest, 104-98. The Hornets now stand at 2-1. and one. They played the 76ers in Charlotte on Wednesday. David, let's start in Miami, a 19-point comeback. Yeah. How did they get in the hole, and how did they climb out? Gosh, Doug, let's let's go in the wayback machine because that was uh, Friday night. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Friday, yeah. Friday night, yeah. So the Hornets did not get out to a hot start. One of the things that I was kind of looking for, and this game was at an eight o'clock tip, and I thought it was a seven o'clock tip all week. Um, and then so I had to readjust my internal clock uh, to stay up uh, even on a Friday. But must have been I think tough. The Hornets were a little. Yeah, it was, it was really tough. And uh, the Hornets were a little sluggish starting out of the gate, too. Doug. I mean, the first half was, was not good. I mean, in the first half, up and through probably what the first, oh gosh, I don't know, five or six minutes of the third quarter. I mean, they just did not play well. They didn't look overly ready to me to play. And surprise, surprise, it was the bench that kind of drug them out of that. Were you shocked by that? Well, yeah, I mean, Bench Force 1 reinvigorated, so that was cool. Um, Yeah, I mean, they they got nearly, and and it's a little distorted because, we'll talk about this in a minute, Roy Hibbert uh, leaving the game after four and a half minutes, so you had Cody Zeller reinserted. But if you just take raw, you know, bench numbers, you're looking at, what, uh, over 50 points from from Mm -hmm. the bench unit, including uh, four double-digit scorers. And Jeremy Lamb, 7 of 12 from the field, 16 points, eight rebounds uh and, and, and a big block and a huge block i mean well block shots all around nine block shots from the hornets uh this is becoming a theme i mean they're they're just good at blocking shots as a team not just roy hibbert who missed this game but yeah the bench coming up huge and both offensively and i thought defensively as well they came in with a pretty good game plan uh to keep goran Dragic out of the paint and uh, the Locked on Heat podcast talked about this a lot with Wes Goldberg and David Ramil about how the Hornets really stack the paint to keep Goran Dragic from not just getting in there to finish, but getting getting in there to find uh, other offense. And something that I thought that they would have trouble doing, getting Hassan Whiteside frustrated and getting him in foul trouble, is actually something that they were really good at. He was both frustrated and in foul trouble, and I was surprised yeah. that Coach Eric Spolstra – uh, held Hassan Whiteside out as long as he did in that fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and I thought it allowed the Hornets uh, because, I mean, you look at the stats, David, 8 of 11 from the field for Hassan, 20 points, 15 rebounds. Whenever he was on the floor, he was affecting the the Hornets' offense by keeping them out of the paint, but also 
uh, on the offensive end for Miami. I mean, he was really taking advantage of either Spencer Hawes or Cody Zeller. And so, yeah. you know, luckily they, they got him off the floor and, and were able to, to get the comeback win. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably some Heat folks that are upset with Spolster a little bit for keeping him out that long because that was when the Orange were really able to make that push. Didn't you think? I mean, I kept looking up, waiting for him to come back in. I mean, I knew he had the foul trouble and all, but, geez, he made such a difference. And I know it's not just against the Hornets, but, like, when he's out there, it almost feels like they they have no choice but to pull up outside of the paint and shoot because they can't take it in. You know what I mean? Um, Kemba had some success late, but that was when uh, he had those, like, four or five, four fouls, I guess. But um, he's such a difference maker. And you mentioned getting in the head of Whiteside, but, I mean, I think Kemba definitely frustrated um, Dragic as well. We saw some of that kind of boil over. It so was chippy. There's, Yeah, it was really chippy. I mean, so there's uh, – I mean, there's always – I'm sure it's probably more felt on the Charlotte side that it's a robbery. Um, I mean, the successes can be measured uh, between these two teams, but or compared, it can be measured. Um, but I think, you know, this group, that said a lot about this Hornets group because, you know, I think you were tweeting or texting to me, you know, they were just, they're probably sick of losing down there. And, and I think that playoff loss still stung a little bit. And uh, so that was good to see this group kind of come out there. And Jeremy Lamb, I mean, uh, it's a shame that he was hurt in the next game we'll talk about, but. Uh, no doubt a positive win, Doug. Because I'll be—I'll be honest with you—I had—I had given up. <laughs> I had given up on that game, down 19. I had seen it too many times. Yeah, absolutely. It was another tough road win. Uh, they staved off a run from Milwaukee in Milwaukee, and then they had to make this comeback. And and you know, in both games, they finished it off. You know, once they got the lead, uh, finally in that fourth quarter, they they were able to. Really, they sustained another run because Miami, once Hassan Whiteside yeah. did finally get in the game. You know, we had that ferocious they dunk cut late. To, cut it to three. Cut it to three, yeah. Yeah, and then Kimball Walker had a really just clutch, clutch layup there in Miami, getting getting back at them a little bit. Okay, uh, so Hibbert dealing with some right knee soreness from game one. He had to leave this game in Miami after four and a half minutes. That takes us to the game against Boston. Hibbert sat out of this game completely. Cody Zeller gets the start in his place. This is not what I meant, David, when I said the battle for starting center wasn't over. Right. This is not how I wanted it to play out. How do you think his absence against Boston affected the Hornets? Well, I don't know how much effect he would have had on Avery Bradley hitting every uh, three-pointer that he had. I mean, I'm sure there would have been some residual effect, but the Hornets just didn't play well at all. Um, I do think they missed him. I mean, obviously, you saw the success they had in that Milwaukee game. And that's such a tough barometer. Again, we, we haven't seen him really outside of that game. So it's hard to, it's hard to really get a grasp on where he's going to be. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, they certainly missed him down low and, and a little bit on the boards. But, you know, the, the Boston Celtics just shot the lights out from three, Doug. I mean, that's what I was just throwing my hands up watching that game because they couldn't do anything with those threes. And the Hornets just had a tough time getting going and still cut it back and, and took the lead. I mean, I was sitting there. Again, just flabbergasted that they were able to get back into that game because I don't think they played well. I don't think they really played well, you know, as a whole since the Milwaukee game. No, David, I think Roy Hibbert would have had a big impact on this game if only because it would have deterred um, Isaiah Thomas from penetrating mm. the way he did. He was able to get by uh, whoever the the Hornets were throwing at him, whether it be Kimball Walker, Ramon Sessions, or whoever. He was able to get into the paint with ease. He's done this time and time again. You know that's, that's why he's an all star uh, against the Hornets. 
Uh, but him getting into the paint, I think, led to a lot of those Avery Bradley three-pointers. Yeah. And we saw yeah. in that first game against Milwaukee, and we saw in the game against Miami, how a shot blocker of the Roy Hibbert or Hassan Whiteside ilk can can affect a game. And so I think that's where, where he really would have helped uh, this this uh, defense out a lot. But, yeah, I mean, three. you mentioned Avery Bradley, 8 of 11 from beyond the arc. Uh, and the the entire team, fifteen of thirty one, forty eight plus yeah. percent from from three pointers from three point land, and in the Miami Heat shot forty one plus percent. So, you know, perimeter defense, perimeter defense is, is an issue. I think the issue against Boston, David, was that they let Avery Bradley get into a rhythm early because here's the deal: the Hornets went into this thing thinking, okay, we're gonna stop, we're gonna stop uh, Al Horford. And, and make sure that because they did the switch again, even though Cody Zeller started, they put Cody on Amir Johnson and they put Marvin Williams on Al Horford and and then Marvin Williams had to front Al Horford uh, for the entire game. And, and the whole idea was keep trying to keep Horford from posting up and try to keep Isaiah Thomas from getting into the lane. And all of that resulted in uh, I mean, somebody's got to be open at that point. Once you build in those mismatches, once you determine, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to actively try to take away A and B. Well, then C is going to be out there and have some space. Mm-hmm. And so Avery Bradley took advantage of that. He's improved his three point shooting over the past couple of years, and he just had a big game. So, yeah, so, well, so there's that say, aspect Doug, of it. So are you going to take that though? Because I mean, they relatively held Horford in check, right? Fourteen and four. Um, I think yeah, the plan worked. Is. But, I mean, the plan kind of worked, right? I mean, if you're going to give up 31 points to Avery Bradley and he's going to hit, you know, like I said, um, 8 of 11 from 3, I mean, yeah. I mean, you got to hope that you can score to match that. And the Hornets just couldn't do a good enough job of that, I think. Yeah, and, and Steve Clifford after the game wasn't really particularly upset with Avery Bradley or allowing Avery Bradley to do that. He was upset that in, in his mind, and I'm paraphrasing him here, uh, I'll play you the audio, but it wasn't that good, uh, quality-wise. But he said um, essentially that there was there were some things going on defensively that were being uh, improvised, that they weren't part of the plan. And mm-hmm. I went back and I looked at at that second. He he pointed out the second half in particular, and I went back and looked, and yeah, I mean there were some breakdowns. Uh, I posted two on the Twitter account at Locked On Hornets. Go check that out. Um, but you just had you had rotations that were breaking down in the pick and roll. You had Kemba going to uh, ice a screen, and and no one dropped back. And and after it after that play, you could hear uh, Steve Clifford basically imploring someone uh, vigorously. We'll put it that way to to down it. Um, <laughs> it was a uh, or down and ice is kind of same thing. Keeping. You know, keeping uh, keep trying to keep Isaiah Thomas out of the middle. Kimba did his job, and somebody else was supposed to be covering, and and it led to an Isaiah Thomas layup. And and there was another yeah. instance where uh, you had Terry Rozier get into the lane, and this is what happened a lot. You'd have somebody penetrate because either you Frank or or somebody couldn't couldn't contain the initial uh, pick and roll, and you have Rozier yeah. or Isaiah Thomas get into the lane. And then somebody had to go down. Kimba goes down to cover, but he goes too far down. And and then Marco Bellinelli doesn't rotate over to Avery Bradley. And Avery was wide open for another three-point shot. So there were little yeah. issues. Clifford says, look, we're going to get those cleaned up. They have a few days before they face off against Philadelphia. So we'll see if they can get some of these defensive issues cleaned up. 
Yeah, Doug, and I, that's why I'm not, you know, it was a frustrating game to watch. It was exciting because they came back, but it was kind of uh, demoralizing when every time they would take a step, you know, the Boston Celtics would hit a three. But I think, I'm sure Clifford was peeved about several plays like, gosh, Doug, help me remember who was shooting the free throw. They missed. Uh, we could not corral the rebound. The Hornets couldn't get the rebound, and then they had to end up hitting another three out of that play. I can't recall who it was, but there were several plays like that where, you know, the Hornets a couple of loose balls. The ball. Yeah, they didn't go. Yeah, go the a couple of loose ways. balls, and uh, just too many opportunities. I, I thought for the Celtics. So you, you have to think they will get that cleaned up, especially with Clifford. And you also, I mean, look, the Celtics are supposed to be one of, if not the top two teams in the East, right? So uh, they're going to be good. But like, you know, if you're going to go out there and stop Warford or contain him, which they did, you give yourself a chance, which is what they had if they had just played a little better. I feel like. Well, and that's the thing. So, you know, the Hornets go into this game going, okay, we're going to take Al Horford away. We're going to attempt to take Isaiah Thomas away. Somebody else beat us. Avery Bradley said, okay, I'll do that. Now, you look on the Hornets' side. (laughs) My pleasure. Uh, So, you look on the other side, and there just wasn't that second scorer that could come up big in the second half. I mean, uh, yeah, Lamb went out. Marvin Williams, two of nine from beyond the arc. Nick Batum, one of five. The entire team, 28%. They did get back to shooting more three-pointers, unlike in Miami. They shot 32 of them, but only made nine. Couldn't get that second-half scoring punch that they need. You mentioned Lamb. He Mm -hmm. suffered a strained left hamstring on the backdoor dunk highlight play that he had. Amir Johnson fouling him with a shove midair that caused him to land awkwardly. He went straight back to the locker room after his free throw. We're waiting for more word on his status as well as Roy Hibbert's for Wednesday's game. As soon as we have it, we'll uh, post it there on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Okay, so yeah, one thing on on this game, I just want to throw out there. Throw it. The Hornets, the Hornets, and if you don't like it, you throw it right on back. If the Hornets started two uh, two games on the road, right, mm-hmm. and then they got the home opener on Saturday. But that's kind of by design, right? I mean, the Hornets would prefer, I feel like, to open up that home slate on a Saturday. And correct. So I, I mean, correct me if I'm just way out there on it. The, okay. So I mean, you know, you hear a lot of people see that. Oh man, they started two and zero on the road, two first two games on the road. But that is kind of by design because they want to get that good uh, Saturday night opening crowd. Even though, as you mentioned. You know, people are celebrating Halloween. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that crowd in a minute because I want to talk about the home opener atmosphere. Mm. But just real quick, we're a few games in, David. How are you feeling about this Hornets team at the moment? Just very kind of base feelings about this team. Uh, I feel pretty good, to quote Roy Hebert. Because um, I, I don't think we've seen the, the best. Hornets are looking good. They <laughs> there it is. Uh, I don't think we've seen the best that they can be yet, Doug, which makes sense. It's early, but I think Milwaukee was probably the best they played, but probably, you know, that, that competition wasn't as good. Um, and I just don't think you've seen that offensive firepower. Some of the concerns Clifford had early in the preseason are showing up. So I would be cautiously optimistic. How about you? Yeah, I think injuries are obviously a concern at this point. Perimeter yeah. defense is an issue, and that perimeter defense being a result of – uh, coverage issues in the pick and roll. I think there's a scoring problem as well. Oh yeah. And, and I don't. Um, here's where I think the issue is: if they can get to the basket, then then they're okay. Uh, if they can score well at the basket. But you had an issue uh, against Miami, and then an issue in in uh, 
against Boston where they weren't able to get to the the rim as effectively. And they're taking a lot more mid-range shots so far. We're only three games in, I understand. But they're taking just about as many threes as they are mid-range shots, and that's not the the balance of power we saw last season. And I'm not so like – I'm not a slave to three-point shots and foul shots, you know, to get all the mid-range shots out. That's not what I'm saying. But the, the mid-range shots that they are taking, David, are are difficult. I mean, you've got kind of MKG. Batum and yeah, Batum, Bellinelli. Batum, Bellinelli, and MKG. MKG slicing across the lane and then pulling up for like a fadeaway jump shot. That To me, that's not an ideal shot. I know that MKG has improved his shooting. But that to, that's not an ideal shot in my mind. And, and the three-point shots as well, I think, if you look at that Boston game where they didn't shoot the three-ball particularly well, it's because they weren't drive and kick oh there's a white kind of like the Avery Bradley situation these were situations where you had Jeremy Lamb uh, isolating himself and and pulling up after one or two dribbles Um, and and just a lot of stuff that the ball was moving around the perimeter and finally found an open open open-ish shooter as opposed to moving the defense inside and then kicking the ball back out so I think there are some scoring problems on this team that that will need to improve if if they want to beat better teams. Like I think they have good yeah. enough offense to beat a Milwaukee. I don't think they have a good enough offense to beat the Boston Celtics. Uh you know, so we'll see if that improves. Do you think that scoring is on the roster because I find myself in the third and fourth quarter of that Boston game saying, "Oh my god, I mean, they might have to go out and find another score." Maybe. Yeah, especially if if these injury issues, if if the Lamb injury is serious because I think Lamb is somebody who can be uh, I mean, he scored 16 against Miami. I think he can be that that scorer that you need off the bench. Um, and we haven't seen Nick Batum play well yet, so that's that's, that's that's still we're still due for a good Nick Batum game. We'll keep an eye on it. And so, yeah, and so that's why I'm a little more optimistic. Just I'm hoping that the shooting will round its way back, especially with Batum. Um, we saw a little bit of it last year, and if Lamb and Kaminsky can come on, I mean, they they might be able to fill it in there. But gosh, you just look at some of the sessions drives and some of the lack of success that other guys are having. And again, it's early, but it's something to keep an eye on. The regular season is underway, but we still have some contract news to discuss. First, a report from friend of the show, Adi Joseph of Sporting News, who tweeted after Saturday's game, General Manager Rich Cho walked into the Hornets locker room to deliver a letter to Frank Kaminsky, which turns out to be his third-year option. The Hornets delaying Kaminsky's possible restricted free agency until at least the end of next season. Cody Zeller, on the other hand, could be hitting restricted free agency at the end of this season if the team and Zeller don't agree to an extension by midnight tonight. The Vertical's Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that the two parties are discussing an extension, but he tweeted, If no Zeller extension, teams may be aggressive on offer sheets. Many privately wonder how far Michael Jordan will take the Charlotte payroll. David, uh, we've seen this narrative before that Michael Jordan yeah. is is cheap not in the not in the general manager or um, basketball sense, but in the sort of tipping people at restaurants. Like this is a narrative that's born out of things that Charles Barkley has said about Jordan, and, and then people extrapolate that and take it to his team building, which I don't know if that's really you know been borne out in reality because I think he's gone and paid people like Al Jefferson a lot of money. Uh, but your yeah. th- your thoughts on 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 the Cody Zeller extension? Should it happen? And um, what do you think about this narrative on Michael Jordan? 
the narrative is the weird thing we always hear it, but didn't he just didn't he just by some people's estimations overpay Nick Batum? <laughs> right, and and paid and 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 got a good deal for Marvin Williams, but and then people say, well, he didn't pay Jeremy Lin or uh, or Courtney Lee to keep yeah. them. It's like, wait a minute, the Hornets are over the cap, first of all. <laughs> And so, and Jeremy Lin wanted to go start in Brooklyn. He wanted uh, to be a starter. Yeah, and yeah. and and paying Courtney Lee a lot of money to to play off the bench when you have Michael Kidd Gilchrist doesn't make any sense. So let's let's yeah. let's hold on for a second. But I mean, go on. We're not ones we're not ones to question Woj, but like this thing always pops up. It's like I've never. I mean, didn't he? He signed. They signed Gordon Hayward to an offer sheet that didn't work out. But it's like they brought in Lane Stevenson to pay. I mean. No, here's what I here's what good, I think right? here's what I think David I'm a cons- I'm a little bit conspiratorial on this I think that those voices who are chattering to Adrian were were trying to they're trying to get Jordan to overpay Cody Zeller <laughs> it's like let's see if we can we can nip at his ego a little bit and, and yeah. get him to overpay Cody because to in my estimation David that would be a mistake if, if you if you For- extend Cody Zeller I mean if you can get him on a on a and I'm look. I'm I'm no I'm no contract expert, um, but but if you I think if you overpay Cody Zeller at this point, that's a mistake because uh, I just I, I think we're, we're we're at this I think we're closing in very quickly on the ceiling of Cody Zeller. Yeah, although I have been pleasantly surprised. Again, it's such a short uh, time span that we've seen him, and he's been playing off the bench. But I mean, certainly the the Miami game um, and the Milwaukee game, and yeah, played well. But I, I think you're right. I mean, the only thing, and I'm I guess I'm guilty of this, this too. This little notion you put out there. The thing that got me nervous was was saying that people are going to be very aggressive uh, with offer sheets. You know, if if he's not locked down in the off season, but. Don't do you feel like you have to kind of cross that bridge when you come to it? Yeah, you can. I I think it would just be negotiating against yourself and 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 don't set your own market necessarily for for Cody Zeller. Maybe set your own market yeah. for Nick Batum, who you know is is a is a, a a stunning talent and has done big things for you in big moments. Uh, so that it's okay to set the market at that point, and the market was already being set by by other contracts in this right. in this new environment. And here's the thing: people have to understand too is that. The the money ballooned last off season, but every estimation that I've heard is that it's not going to continue. That that these that the market is going to start to correct itself, and you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be uh, putting a ton of money in different places and 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 hamstringing yourself a year or two from now when the market does start to dry up or or does start to contract I guess a little bit when when it goes from like 100 million to 103 million as opposed to you know ballooning uh 20 million. So yeah, you're I mean you're right. You you can't that would be that would be really hamstringing them if they ever sign, you know, ever pay for him at this point in time. And and, and can't you, you know, play it a little smarter I guess if you get you know, you can see what other people are often once they get his offer sheets, right? So I mean, you can kind of uh, see what's real and, and what's not, but yeah, no, I I totally agree. I, I think, uh, w- and we'll get an answer on, on what the Hornets are planning to do by midnight tonight. Again, we will uh, update that on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Real quickly, just want to ask you because you were at the game, I was at the game. We didn't take a picture with yes. one another and prove that we actually hang out outside of the show. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, we missed that opportunity. But what did you think of the the home opener atmosphere? Where this is uh, year three of opening with the Hornets, and uh, you've been to a lot of Bobcats games as well. Uh, what are your thoughts oh, yeah. on the the atmosphere? 
Well, as the father of two children under three, uh, I was supposed to go and sit with my brother. He could not go, uh, and therefore I sat by myself with an open seat on either side of me, and it was the most joyous experience I've had in an NBA game in a long time. Uh, so let me just say that. But I thought that the uh, I thought the atmosphere was good, Doug. I mean, the screen is a behemoth. Obviously, we've talked about the TV screen. But um, I can't remember who was on our little text chat. That'd be a good. That that's a, that's a great. That's a great. Uh, that's a great nickname for the scoreboard. It's just the TV screen because really, the like t- when the you TV screen when you sit in the when you sit in the arena and you look up at it, it is. I don't know. I mean, I've never. I haven't done the calculations, but it does. It's relatable to when you're sitting in your living room and you're sitting. It felt you, like it. You know, just distance wise. Um, you know, I, I don't want to do the math here, but. Um, when people were blocking my view of the court, I looked up and it was like I was watching it on television. I mean, that's how big it is, right. even though it's so far away from you. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 a pretty again. It's one of those things I can sit here and describe it, but you really have to see it. Well, yeah, because you're watching it and you're so used to seeing the TV point of view. Like if you're looking for a certain angle or seeing how mm-hmm. a certain play is going to shake out, and depending on where you're sitting in the arena, you may not have a good look at that. So I mean. You don't have to. It's not like you're strained. It, you can look right up there and see just as well. It's it's kind of crazy, but um, so that was a cool thing. But the crowd at the Hornets games have obviously matured, and so now, like back in the day when the Celtics or the Lakers or whomever would come into town, it would be overwhelming that the opposing fans would be outnumbering the Charlotte fans. But that's not the case anymore. And I thought that there was a good energy. Maybe it was Halloween, Doug. Maybe everyone was just fired up for Halloween night as you call it on saturday but i thought the crowd was good um the play the the place seemed into it and i think you know for the hornets credit they do want to get that saturday night crowd they're not they're not um oblivious to that fact that it's going to be a little livelier down there so i thought especially for an opening game uh with the two and a start it was a good good scene how'd you like it because you've been there a lot more than i have lately yeah i thought i thought maturing you actually stole my word and i love it i love that we're mm-hmm. on the same mm-hmm. wavelength here I, th- I think the crowd is maturing i think you honestly it's a weird situation in charlotte right because you know we know that back in 88 89 when the team first came here that the people were were head over heels in love with the hornets and the crowds were amazing it was sellout after sellout you didn't have to teach people how to be a, a fan of a professional basketball team they just were because they finally had a professional franchise. Now it's different because they've had the Panthers for a long time. The Hornets left. Bad taste. We all know that. Blah, blah, blah. So now I think people are re- learning to love the Hornets again, yes, but relearning how to be a professional NBA fan. And um, it's it's interesting. I hear more people talking about the game at the arena you know, it's which is to me a sign of a maturing fan base. They actually care about the game, um, and and they were standing up during big moments. Is it? You know, it's not like the crowd in OKC. It's not like the crowd in Golden State, where it's just crazy almost the entire right. game. But I think that's that has to come with playoff victories, with playoff series victories. It will come. I I think the crowd was okay. Uh, it's getting better. And it's just going to take, you know, those playoff victories to get people uh, really excited about this team in a way that you see in those franchises that don't have that weird history. That's that's yeah, what people you know have what to understand. Like, you know what it kind of felt like, Doug? It felt like almost a midseason game. And I don't know why. It was just like there was a level of familiarity uh-huh. maybe 
with the crowd and knowing what to expect, like the ebbs and flows of a game and stuff like that. Like there wasn't like a newness to it. It just felt like, Hey, we're at the Hornets game. I know this is a weird <laughs> explanation that they're out there, but it just felt like, you know, now we're back at the Hornets game. It's NBA season. Let's watch, you know, some NBA. Yeah, well, I'm excited. I'm excited that we get to watch some regular season action. We've got a game coming up on Wednesday. We'll cover that uh, through the week. We've got our live show coming up uh, tomorrow night at 6, at 6 o'clock p.m. You'll want to watch that live on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Locked on Hornets, or on Facebook on the at thehive.com's Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash at the hive. That's all the time we have for this show. Thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network, the fastest growing podcast network on this planet Earth. We got a mention on SI.com. So Locked On Podcast Mm -hmm. Network, moving on up in this world. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star review. Help hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. And shoot us your Hornets questions, your thoughts to buzzbuzz.com at LockedOnHornets.com. We're back again tomorrow morning and tomorrow night. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm sharp. So what if I like to stay up late and watch TV and I'm blaming on K-